Acts chapter 20. Last time, as we finished chapter 19, we were, Paul is in, in the city of Ephesus, been there for a couple of years, and we noted that the ministry, the reach of the gospel message has gone out from this, this town of Ephesus, this city, but it has affected the entire region. So much so that there, there was a, a group of, of idol makers. That was, the, that was their job. It was like a union of them. Union, idol maker, union, sick, 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 perhaps. And they, they had this, this booming business that was all of a sudden starting to crash because so many people were coming to faith in Jesus and the true and living God, and they were turning from idols. And this caused quite a little uproar with those that were, that were doing this business. And it turned into what was becoming a riot in the city of Ephesus. And we looked at that last time and how that was, that was dissipated and they all spread out. And we pick up now as we transition now into chapter 20. Verse 1, it says, After the uproar had ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and when he had exhorted them, when he had encouraged them, when he had poured into them some more, he took, he took leave of them, and he left to go to Macedonia. We've picked up now again, now as Paul continues his travels in what is commonly called the, his third missionary journey, and we're about right in the middle of it. We're going to get a fast-forward view of, of quite a bit of it here in just a moment, but I, I, when we were in chapter 19 last time, I purposely glossed over a verse because of what we wanted to cover last time, knowing that we would come back and look at it here. And that's verse 21 back in uh, chapter 19. It says, Now after these things were finished, Paul purposed in the Spirit to go to Jerusalem after he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. So here we see in verse 21, it says, after these things. Now this is before the riot that takes place. This is after, after these things is speaking about the gospel message that we had said, that it spread throughout the entire region. And it says in there that Paul purposed in his spirit to now go, through, go, go up through Macedonia, Achaia. He's going to hit Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, Corinth, that area again and then from there on to Jerusalem, and then to Rome. Now, depending on the translation that you have, the Bible translation you'll have, you'll notice that spirit is capitalized in some versions and not capitalized in others. If it's capitalized, that means that the translators felt that Luke meant that Paul was led by the Holy Spirit to do that, to, go, to plan that, that path. If it's a little s, the translators felt that that just meant that Paul, in his own spirit, was longing and desiring to do those. And they're divided on that issue. I'll tell you, to me, it's pretty, pretty clear. Paul decided in his spirit, directed by the Holy Spirit, to do this route that was there. And how do I know that? How, why, do I, why do I feel that way? Well, because we know that Paul is filled with the Holy Spirit, correct? I mean, we've, we see that. And as believers, guys, we all have the Holy Spirit in us. The all, we all have the Holy Spirit bearing witness to us. We all have the Holy Spirit guiding and leading us. We all, all of us have felt that at times, right? When we're about to make a decision or we're about to do something and we get that check in our system. As Christians, guys, that's the Holy Spirit saying no. 
And, and we have that choice then. We can blow through the stop sign just like we can any other stop sign. We have the choice, but we will pay the consequences for that decision. But here we see that Paul, and we're going to see as we study, continue to study through chapter 20, that the Holy Spirit clearly is speaking, guiding, and directing Paul as he is going. But the Proverbs 16.9 says, the mind, of a man, or the mind of a man plans his way, but the Lord directs his step. As we move forward, as we follow the Lord, he is going to direct our steps and we follow his prompting and leading. Matter of fact, so much so, Isaiah records this in Isaiah chapter 30. Therefore, the Lord longs to be gracious to you, and therefore he waits on high to have compassion on you, for the Lord is a God of justice. And notice, how blessed are those who long for him, not who long to get what God has to give, but who long for him. How blessed are those who long for God. And what that means is, how blessed is the person who desires what God desires, who wants what God wants, who, who in his own spirit wants to f- understand what it is that God desires for him and wants to do that. That's what that means there. So how blessed is the man who longs for him? And one of those blessings, Isaiah tells us a couple of verses later, your ears will hear a word behind you. This is the way, walk in it, whenever you turn to the right or to the left. When we desire God's desires, when we seek after his heart in things for us, the Holy Spirit will guide and direct us. We'll be able to hear clearly those steps as we go. The psalmist writes, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust also in him and he will do it. I believe that as we study through this section and we look at at Paul as he navigates through this, that Paul fully understands and believes this verse. That if we delight ourselves in the Lord, and again, that is to seek after him, be delighted in what delights God. Seek after those things that please him and be fully committed to those and trust God every step of the way. It says that he will do it. He will give us the desires of our heart. He will place his desires in our heart. He will navigate the the, the path in order for us to fulfill that. And I I believe that Paul fully gets that. We're going to come back to that a little bit later. But let's continue. Verse 2, he's decided, he's, he's left them now to go up through Macedonia. And when he had gone through those districts, the Macedonia and Achaia, and given much exhortation, he came to Greece. There he spent three months. And when a plot was formed against him by the Jews as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. And he was accompanied by Sopater of Berea and Aristarchus and Secundus of the Thessalonians and Gaius of Derbe and Timothy and Tychicus and Trophimus of Asia. And they had gone on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas. And we sailed from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread and came to them at Troas within five days, and, we, and there we stayed seven days. So here in the, in the course of just a few verse, verses, we cover several months and a whole lot of miles. And if we could pop up the, the close-up map, here we go. Um, the teal line, you can see it down in the right-hand corner there, and Ephesus, that's where we started in verse 1. Paul then travels, it says, traveled through Macedonia. That's up to Troas, across over to Philippi. We see Thessalonica, Berea, and then to Greece, Athens, and Corinth. 
Now it tells us something interesting here. It says that that Paul decided from there that he was going to go to Syria. That was his plan. If we could back out the map here real quick. That would be then from Corinth where the blue line ends there and the purple dotted line starts from going there directly across to Tyre as you can see in the lower right hand corner. Just sailing directly across the Mediterranean Sea to get there. And it tells us that there was a plot that Paul found out about whether that was that there was a bunch of people waiting to ambush him at the docks or something that was going to take place on the boat. We don't know what it is, but something Paul got wind of and he decided instead of sailing directly from Corinth over to Syria, he was going to backtrack through Macedonia. I can't tell you how glad I am that that took place. I can't tell you how happy I am that that plot was put there, that Paul found out about it, because... If he would have gotten on a boat in Corinth and sailed to Syria, the rest of chapter 20 wouldn't exist. And I I hope that by the end of the time that we get done studying through chapter 20, you're as happy as I am that chapter 20 happened. Because there's some great truths that we can uncover as we continue to study through this chapter. So Paul, instead of sailing there, the purple dotted line is his backtracking now as he comes back up and it tells us, that he went to Philippi there, spent the days of unleavened bread, that's Passover. Notice, before we move on from here, something interesting takes place. Verse 5, this other group went on ahead of us at Troas, and we sailed, we sailed from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread. Remember back in chapter 16, Paul left Luke in Philippi because this brand new church had just started and, Phil, and Paul was continuing on. He left Luke there with this church. Well, now Luke is joined back up with Paul as he continues his journey on from there, and we're going to see that as we continue. Now, there's not a whole lot of details given to us in here about anything else that took place, but we know of three important letters that were written during these few months that Paul did this traveling that we just looked at. He wrote 2 Corinthians from Philippi, and he will write Galatians and Romans from Corinth during this time frame. Well, he now has sailed, he sailed back there. He gets to, they're at Troas together. We pick up there in verse 7. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul began talking to them, intending to leave the next day, and he prolonged his message until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered together, and there was a young man named Eutychus sitting on the windowsill, sinking into a deep sleep. And as Paul kept on talking, he was overcome by sleep and fell down from the third floor and was picked up dead. But Paul went down and fell upon him, and after embracing him, he said, Do not be troubled, for his life is in him. When he had gone back up and had broken the bread and had eaten, he talked with them a long while until daybreak and then left. They took away the boy alive and were greatly comforted. Here we see, as as we first start out here in in verse 7, on the first day of the week, here's the first definitive point that is, or verse that we can point to that says that Christians began meeting regularly on Sundays, the first day of the week. And there's a lot of reasons for that. Again, we celebrate, the the, the reason they started that was that's the day the Lord rose from the dead, Sunday, Easter Sunday, and, and continuing to meet on Sundays. Many of them were, were Jewish or, or G- Gentiles that had come out of the Jewish faith and still even went to synagogue on Saturday, the Sabbath. But this is the next day. This is on a Sunday. 
and they gather together here, and here we have a picture of it. We don't have anything that he said recorded for us, but we have pointed to us by far the longest sermon in the Bible. Probably began in the evening, because again, the first day of the week, Back then, you worked six days. You took the Sabbath off. So Sunday was a work day then, so they probably came after work. So let's just say, let's just say at 6 o'clock it started. went till midnight. It went till midnight. That's six hours. I mean, none of you here at Calvary Chapel surprised at all, but I've heard that there's churches that if it goes an hour and a half, it's like, I got to get out of here. You know, I, and, and I, I, haven't, I don't see it often, but there's sometimes every once in a while I'll glance up at the clock and I'm realizing that I'm kind of pushing the time that you've allotted me because I can start seeing till midnight. Now, <laughs> I can, it, it does bless a pastor's heart to know that even Paul put somebody to sleep in one of his sermons. I mean, that does... <laughs> That does bless me because, you know, I, I do see it. I do see it. I know you think you get away with it, but I can see all of you. So, and, and, but by the way, it doesn't bother me. It doesn't offend me at all. Matter of fact, again, I, I didn't see him earlier, but there, there's a young man in our church. His name's Patrick, and he used to work all night long across the street and come over here and serve in first service and stay through second service every week after working all night. And, you know, he'd, I'm sure there were times when he'd, you know, kind of doze off a little bit. And that's okay. I mean, I, that's fine. That's fine. I'd rather have you here sleeping than home sleeping. You know, and, and, and it is kind of funny, though, I will say. You know, we're all, we're, we can all be guilty of this, but it's just to see you guys. And, and then it's finally that one that's just kind of the, you know. And then I'll look back a few minutes later, and it's like, amen, amen. Like, you never went anywhere. You know, it's still, hey, Tracking with you, preacher. Keep it going. Yeah. Anyway, there's, there's, there's several little nuggets in here that are really kind of cool. But I, again, I guess I just, I, I'm, I'm amazed. What, what could Paul have talked about for six hours? And then, not only that, then the guy falls out of the window, Eutychus, he falls out and he dies. He is dead. Luke records that for us. Luke, the doctor, he's dead. It's not like Paul just went down there and said, oh, don't worry, he's fine. No, he's dead. Paul lays on him, and the Lord brings him back to life. Well, it, the people didn't look at that and say, hey, here's our opportunity to get out. They said, hey, we, we got more? Hey, awesome. Let's bring him back upstairs. They break bread together, and then he talked until daybreak. Hope you all are challenged by that. Can't get enough of the Word of God. Just want to keep on. Uh. But... They, just an amazing, amazing story that there. Like I said, there's, there's a bunch of little nuggets here, but we got to keep moving. So verse 13, this is the next day. Now here again, challenged by Paul. He preaches all night, and then the next day he leaves, and he doesn't get on the boat and take a nap. He walks. Look at this. But we, going on ahead to the ship, set sail for Asos, intending to, there to take Paul on board, for he had arranged it, intending himself to go by land. So the next day... There's this, a ship that leaves Troas to go to Asos. It's just around this little peninsula that's there. But Paul arranges for everybody else to get on the boat and do that, but he's going to walk. He's going to walk from Troas to Asos, about 25 miles. He's going to do that himself. And, and 
But in that, I just want to stop for a second because here we even see that Paul needed some alone time. He needed some time just with him and the Lord. It's great to gather together and we're never to forsake the gathering together of believers. We need to encourage each other. It's wonderful to study God's word together and worship and, and, and do all of that. But it's also so vitally important for each one of our walk to have that alone, one-on-one time with the Lord. I encourage every married couple here to spend time in the word and in prayer together every day. But don't forsake that alone time with the Lord every day too. That you just seek the Lord personally and allowing Him to minister to you and to speak to you. Like we talked about at the beginning, the Holy Spirit in us, seeking the Lord, seeking direction. And as we continue to unpack this chapter, we're going to see that the Lord was definitely speaking to Paul. And no doubt as he's going, seeking clearer direction and, and strength for what is ahead for him. And I, I'm challenged by that in my, in my own walk. If Paul needed that, I need it. And not just Paul. It wasn't just Paul who did it, by the way. Jesus did. Jesus, Luke tells us he did it a lot in chapter 5, often. But Matthew records for us, speaking of Jesus, after he had sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. In that, we see that even Jesus got away by himself, got alone with the Father, and he stayed there a while. And like I said, Luke tells us that he did it a lot. Seeking the Lord. Seeking the Father. And guys, we need that as well. Well, verse 14, Luke hooked back up with them the next day and gets on the ship with them. And when we met at Asos, we took him on board and came to Mytilene. Sailing from there, we arrived the following day opposite Kinos. And the next day we crossed over to Samos, and the day following we came to Miletus. So they did these are little islands that are along the way, hopping along there, and finally they come to Miletus. For Paul had decided, verse 16, to sail past Ephesus so that he would not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hurrying to be in Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Now, it says that he didn't want to go to Ephesus, and it wasn't because he, he wanted to avoid that area because he didn't like the people. No, as a matter of fact, I think it's because he loved the people there, and he knew that if he went there, he would spend a long time there. He had just spent a couple of years there, did this tour back around, and he knew that if he went there, he would end up spending a lot of time there. We're going to find out next week as we finish out chapter 20 that Paul knows already he's not coming back. He knows that this is his farewell tour, if you would, for these churches and these people that mean so much to him. That's why, no doubt, he spent all of that time sharing with them that evening that he went all, all night teaching them. And here we see that he bypasses Ephesus so, because he knows if he went there, he'd spend a long time. And he has a goal, and we're going to look at that here as we continue, to get to Jerusalem. And he's got a date by, by Pentecost. So he sails to Miletus, which is about 30 miles south of Ephesus. And from Miletus, verse 17, he sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. He calls the, the individual house church leaders, those that he left in charge of the church when he left, he calls them to come and meet him at Miletus. Because he's got, again, a very important message for them. When they had come to him, 
He said to them, you yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia, how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials, which came upon me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly from house to house, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul begins his discussion with them by saying, guys, you know that from the moment I got to Ephesus, from the first moment that we met up until now, I have never stopped serving the Lord. There's not a vacation from serving God. And he talks about the fact that he did it with humility. Paul never wanted to be a rock star. He never wanted to be a superhero. He, his desire was always to point people to Jesus. Yes, he says that, notice that in my life, the way that I lived it out, I was an example to you in these areas. But Paul never, decided, never wanted to be the example that took, took any of the limelight away from Jesus. As a matter of fact, he would say, follow me as I follow the Lord. It's always about following the Lord. But guys, we have to live a life that is an example for other people. And Paul said, I never took a break from that. I always was seeking to be an example for you and for others. He also says that I, never, I didn't shrink away from declaring to you anything that was profitable. I shared with you all that is profitable. Now, what's profitable? Well, Paul tells us later, he will write to, to, to Timothy in 2 Timothy, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. And we know this, as we've seen Paul everywhere he went. It says that he was reasoning with the people from what? The Scripture. Reasoning with the people from the Word of God. Paul, Paul gets it. He's the one who wrote that, that all Scripture is, is inspired by God, literally breathed by God, given to us His very Word, and every bit of it is profitable. All of God's word is. And so Paul said, not only have I given you an example by the life that I've led, but also because I share the word of God with you. That's where the power is. The power is in the word of God. The word of God can change lives. Our words can't. God's words can. He's the one who said that my words, God said, my words will not to return to me void. They will accomplish what I sent them out to do. And, it's, and Paul said, that's why I, I deliberately, continually shared God's word all the time. But notice thirdly also what he said that he did continually. Verse 21, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks, repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul never failed to share the truth of the gospel. It wasn't just the life that he led. It wasn't just the word of God. It was the specifics of the gospel. Sharing with every, everyone, everywhere, how to be saved. Because here's the truth, guys. If we just say, you know what? I'm just going to live a good life so that my, my neighbors can see that I'm just a good person. Then they can try to imitate us on their way to hell but we need to share the truth of the gospel because it's not our good works that save us. It's not our well-lived life that saves us. It's the free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ that saves us. It's his blood shed on our behalf that saves us. 
It's us repenting, turning from our sinful way, turning to, turning to God and receiving the free gift of salvation. That's what saves us, and that's what saves them. And that's why we have to share that with them too. We need to continually live a life, absolutely, because if our life contradicts what we're saying, we're hypocrites, and who wants to be a part of that? We need to share God's word because that's where the power is. But guys, we have to share the gospel. We have to share the gospel. God sent his son, gave his only begotten, poured out his life on the cross for us that whoever believes will not perish but have everlasting life. And Paul said, guys, I never stopped doing that. I never stopped. And in that challenging them, you never. And in that, challenging us today as we read it, we can never stop. Never stop. Living the life, sharing the word, preaching the gospel. Well, as we continue, verse 22, Paul again, speaking to the elders, the leaders in the church, he says this, And now behold, bound by the Spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except... The Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city saying that bonds and afflictions await me. Now, we mentioned earlier that, that Paul, it says in chapter 19, that purposed in his spirit, and there was that debate about whether the Holy Spirit, no doubt here, he says the Holy Spirit, speaking to him, bound by the Spirit. He says, I am on my way to Jerusalem. And he said, he said, there's some uncertainty there. There's some uncertainty when I get to Jerusalem because I don't know exactly what it is that awaits there except that everywhere I go, the Holy Spirit bears witness to me telling me that bonds and afflictions await me. Literally, chains and afflictions are waiting him in Jerusalem. Now, I want you to go back and look again with me at verse 16. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he would not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hurrying to be in Jerusalem. I want you to just sit on that for a second. <laughs> Everywhere Paul goes, the Holy Spirit is telling him, bonds and afflictions wait for you in Jerusalem, and Paul can't wait to get there. He's bypassing Ephesus. Ephesus, no doubt, this place, again, he's been there a couple of years. Many people love Paul in Ephesus. He could probably get a beachside condo there and set up, and he could just be the bishop of all of the churches. He could, he could have these beach meetings every week and, they, and probably just set, you know, set it all up and take a whole lot of time and just, you know, whatever. It says that he sailed past that because he can't wait to get to Jerusalem. Now, I, I can relate to that part. I can't wait to get to Jerusalem either. I mean, we're going to, we're going to Israel in, in February, Lord willing, and I can't wait to get there. But if I know when I get off the plane, chains and afflictions and prison and all that stuff await me, I'm thinking refund. I'm thinking trip insurance, hit that little button right there, and I'll sit at home and Google it and just look at pictures and remember the times I've been there before. But Paul knows what's awaiting him that says he can't wait to get there. And he's no stranger to bonds and affliction. It's not like he doesn't know what that means. 
Remember, he's already written 2 Corinthians. And in 2 Corinthians, and I'll just read it for you real quickly, he says, five times I've received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, in dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers from among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure on me of concerns for all the church. And more of that's wait. He can't wait to get there. I don't know about you, but if Paul's got a secret, I want to know what that secret is. If there's something that Paul understands that would allow him to do that, I want me some of that. Don't you? Well, praise the Lord, because we have the answer. The answer is here. Look at verse 24. But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, so that I may finish my course in the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus, to testify solemnly of the gospel, the grace of God. Now, there is some, it's, this is one of those passages that's a little difficult to translate word for word, because there's some big words that are used in the Greek that take a whole sentence to try to define and the New King James, I actually like the translation in the New King James a little better. You'll, you'll, when I read it here, you'll notice it's not, there's not big changes to it, but a little subtle differences. It says this, But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy, and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Guys, here's the secret to this whole thing. How could somebody who knows that physical bonds and afflictions are awaiting him can't wait to get there and be a part of it? Because here's the thing. He says, I don't count my life dear to myself. He's comparing two things. He's comparing his life, his physical life, and the path that God's placed before him. He's comparing the physical things in his life with the course that God has given him. And he says, I don't count my life precious is literally the most precious is what that that word translated means he says i count the course precious i count the path the plan that god has given me as precious and why he tells us why because god gave it to him because god gave him this this course this plan that is ahead of him and because god gave it to him he considers it precious Turn with me to 1 Timothy. Paul is going to write these later letters from prison. He's going to get to Rome. Just like the Spirit, led by the Spirit, he's going to get to Rome. He's not going to get to Rome the way he initially thought. He's going to go to Rome as a prisoner. And he's going to write back in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service. Paul says, I thank God for this path. 
I thank God for the course that he's put before me. Because he's strengthened me, and we're going to get to that in a minute. He's given me everything that I need to walk it. But secondly, notice he says, because he considered me faithful. And he put me into service. Paul is saying, and he's, and he, and he's getting this, the creator of the universe who has this, this eternal plan, specifically, individually, personally, chose me to walk this path. Because you did that? How could, I, how could I worry about me? How could I consider my life precious if the creator of the universe considered me faithful enough to have me walk this path? That's what's precious. That gift that God would care for me enough and allow me to be a part of his plan and that he will encourage me and he will strengthen me and he will never leave me or forsake me. That's what's precious. Not my own life. He understood that even though he didn't consider his life precious in comparison, God considered his life precious, and that God was the one that was overseeing all of that, knowing that even as it tells us in Jeremiah, I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. Like we mentioned earlier, Paul understood this fact that if he delights himself in the Lord, He's going to get, give him the desires of his heart. He commits himself, his way to the Lord and trusts in God. He will surely do it. He's delighting himself in the Lord that this is God's plan for me? That he would consider me faithful and put me into service to do this? Praise God! And then no matter what else comes, I can, I can hold on to that. I can navigate that. I can manage that. Now here's where it all gets really down to each and every one of us gets real personal. Guys, it wasn't just Paul that God had a plan. It wasn't just Paul that, that God lined out a race in front of a course. Each and every one of us has been given one. Each and every one of us, that same individual care and design has gone into. The rest of us aren't just running a haphazard marathon. All the rest of us still are, all the rest of us have been given a designated course to run as well. And we all have a choice though. Am I going to run it? And if I'm going to run it, how am I going to run it? Paul said, I want to finish with joy. And you know how you run your race with joy and finish your race with joy? Staying in the center of God's will as you go whatever that means. Knowing that, again, his plans aren't to destroy us. His plans are for a future and a hope. It's, uh, when, we, when we look at this, I love this, when we, we think about this again with Paul, his joy was in the course. The one that God specifically gave to him and equipped him to do. And that was to share the gospel. It says that clearly, that this gospel message that he'd given, to take it wherever. Again, Paul is going to be taken to Rome as a prisoner, in chains. He's going to get there, and from a prison cell, chained to a Roman guard 24-7 on six-hour shifts. The guards would be changed out every six hours, 24-7, chained to a Roman guard. He's going to write the book of Philippians, the letter to Philippi. In there, 16 times, he's going to mention joy and rejoice. How in the world could he do that? Chained to a Roman guard. Well, what's his path? What's the ministry was given to him? Sharing the gospel, right? 
He's like, guys, you're not going to believe this. This guy can't get away from me. He's chained to me. He can't go anywhere. I got him six hours in a row. You thought that sermon up in, up, up in Troas? He's getting it every time. And then as soon as he gets tired, he falls asleep a couple of times. I got to keep, you know. But then when he goes, another one, a new one every six hours. Peter tells us that his divine power has granted us everything for a life of Everything we need, he's given to us already to run this path. Turn with me to 2 Timothy. Because again, it's not just the course that's precious. It's what awaits the end, at the end. Paul again understands this, and he writes 2 Timothy chapter 4. This is at the end of his life. Little does Paul know here when he's on the beach at Miletus talking to the Ephesian elders, this is going to be 10 more years. But here he is at the end. And he writes this to Timothy. For I am already, verse 6, chapter 4, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. Verse 8. In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And notice, not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Guys, we all have a course in front of us, but we all potentially have this prize waiting for us. Paul said, I've run it. I've finished it. I've kept the faith. And what's laid up for me is this crown of righteousness. And I'll tell you, as beautiful as that crown is, as awesome as that crown is, I got a feeling that he's just as excited about who he's getting it from. Because Jesus, he's saying, Jesus himself is going to give me that crown. He's not going to give it to some angel and say, hey, run that down to Paul, will you? Give me that crown himself, the king of kings. The one who made it all possible. The one who set it all out. It tells us that we're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. He did all of it. He's the one who equips us. He's the one who gave us the path. He's the one who gives us the opportunities. He does all of that. And at the end, if we are simply obedient, he rewards us. He himself. Again, Paul said it's not just for me. For all of us, it's available to every single one of us. I hope, I hope that if you are in a trial right now, a difficulty right now, that this encourages you. Because this didn't catch God by surprise. This, if, you're, if you're right now, if you're in the middle of your walk, your path, and it's wide open and it's clean and there's not even a pebble on the sidewalk and you've got a bench every 15 feet to sit down and relax, praise God. That's awesome. But if you're in the middle of a storm right now or a really difficult time, Praise God for that too. That he would consider you faithful to go through that. That you can know that he will strengthen you to get through it. And that at the end of it all, you simply follow what it is that he has called you to do. He'll reward you. 
all of us have an individual path. We don't all run the same path Paul had to run. I have a different path. You have a different path. All of us do. We simply need to seek the Lord. Again, as Paul did, led by the Holy Spirit, takes each step as it comes, following the Lord, not counting our life dear to ourselves, but counting precious the fact that he would entrust this with us. As Paul will write in Philippians chapter 3, forgetting what lies behind, reaching forward to what lies ahead, we press on towards the goal, to the prize, the upward call, God in Christ. One last verse, I, I quote it often, but I think it really fits here. Hebrews 12, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand throne of God. Would you please stand? Lord Jesus, it's hard to read through a section of scripture like this, Lord, and not be challenged in our own walk. How easy it is for us to take our focus off of you and focus it on our surroundings and our situations, the things that that come every day, that continue to come. But Lord, we want to be like Paul. We want to be with that understanding that Lord, you have entrusted each one of us with a gift. And Lord, we thank that you strengthen us, that you would consider us faithful, that you would put us into service, so Lord, as we move forward from this, from this moment, Lord, we, we purposely decide to follow hard after you, to put off those things that would entangle us, the sin that can get in the way, those things that might not even be sin, Lord, but things that can distract us from, from fulfilling everything that you have for us. Lord, that we would forget those things that lie behind. We would reach forward to those things that are ahead. Oh, the prize. You're here today and you have never taken that first step, never trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You've never fully committed your life and your eternity to Him. I'd like to invite you right now to respond to the Holy Spirit, no doubt speaking to your heart. And if that is you, you simply go before him and you say, God, I, I, I know that my life isn't pleasing to you. I, I know I've fallen way short of what it is that you desire for me and what you have told me to do and not to do. And I know I can't fix it myself. I need a savior. Jesus, I believe you died for me. I believe you paid the full penalty for my sin. So I ask you right now to come into my heart to wash my sin away, to give me eternal life. I repent now. I turn from my sinful way, and God, I turn to you. And Jesus, I thank you for dying for me. And Lord Jesus, we all thank you for that amazing gift. 
for the truth that for the joy set before you, you endured the cross. And Lord, now we purposely choose for the joy set before us that we not only endure, but we embrace what it is that lies before us because you've entrusted it to us. So Lord, now as we worship you together with clean hands and pure hearts, hands and hearts that you've cleansed and purified, we pray that you are pleased. In Jesus' name.